1: Exsurge Deus discipentur inimici eius fugiant eius. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered and let all those who hate him flee from before his face. Amen. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. Let's get started with a prayer. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Sancte Michael archangele defende nos in proelio. Contra nequitiam et incedias diavolias to praesidium. IMPERET Deus, supplicus de praecamur, tuque princeps militae calestis, satra maliosque spiritus malignos, qui a perditionem animarum, pervegantur in mundo divina virtute in infernum de trude. Amen. Cor Jesus Sagratissimum, Miserere nobis. Mater dolorosa, ora pro nobis. Beatis Carolus et Domo Austriae, ora, ora pro nobis. Domine ostende facem tuum et salvi erimus, ave Maria purissima, immaculata conceptio est, in nomine patris et fili et spiritu sancti, amen. It's funny, in probably the most sad and horrifying way, how people still seem to think that voting will get you somewhere. I actually had some lost soul on Twitter, argue that the world is a better place now than it was under the kings. And to be sure, we always had war, and we always had famine, and we always had plague, and we always had all of those things sort of poking, poking their way through, although an astute apprentice of history might learn that most of those things were, in fact, a result of sin. And that the best way to put an end to those things was to, very clearly, stop sinning. Now, it's something that most of the Catholic saints who were royalty knew. They wouldn't have ever said it. They just sort of knew. Among the few that would have actually said it would have been Saint King St. Louis, Louis IX i don't know what order thats supposed saint king saint louis anyway saint louis the ninth king of france who whenever he encountered blasphemy actually enacted some of the harshest laws because blasphemy is a violation of the first and second commandments there's not a higher law to break than to reject god and to blaspheme him Blasphemy comes in over murder. Blasphemy comes in over, you know, abandoning your father and your mother to whatever, to whatever. Blasphemy comes in over adultery, over lying, over theft. And understanding that a properly ordered world means that you follow the commandments in order of precedent. You understand that the the consequences for breaking the commandments are in line with with the extremity, well, excuse me, with the extremity from whom the commandment comes, which is to say that an infinite God, though you transgress just a little bit, is offended infinitely. Because even if it was 1% offense, that's 1% of infinity. It is itself still Infinity. <clears throat> so this lost soul wanted to uh, wanted to go after Edward Habsburg, ambassador of Hungary to the Holy See, a cousin to every member of the House of Bourbon. in line although it's a little bit more circuitous than say the line the line of succession to ferdinand habsburg who as much as i wish he was doing something more than racing cars i actually kind of enjoy watching his adventures racing cars but he went after the habsburgs on the anniversary of Blessed Karl of Austria's passing to his eternal reward. Now, it's tasteless to go after somebody when they're talking about the anniversary of a family member's death. It's more tasteless when that family member happens by all intents and purposes for many people to be regarded as a saint. Canonized as a blessed in the church and definitively and decidedly emblematic of all that is good in a leader. Admittedly, being a member of the House of Bourbon, I took a little bit of offense but i did not let that offense be known directly because i can definitely tell you that had this lost soul said something like what he said on twitter as keyboard warriors are wont to do he would have he would have looked like chris rock and in this particular case i would have been will smith except without all of the current discord And I'm not casting aspersions at Will Smith because the discord in my life um, for for very large portions of my life was actually far, far worse than the travesty that's going on in his life today. But without a doubt, he would have gotten an open palm slap because he would not have been worth anything more. It's funny to me, and actually, before I get too much further, first, because I really had to get that out, because that was actually the whole source of this podcast episode, um, I do want to apologize for not keeping regular this past week. It has been an interesting and eventful Lent. And I'm praying that all of the things that are happening this Lent are actually improving me. I have my doubts because, well, I'm human. And, well, it's very difficult to go through some of these things without some irrational responses. However, I've been trying to take some more time out, doing more spiritual reading and more praying. And when you add that to fatigue and exhaustion, um, the less important things tend to go the way of the dodo. And as much as I enjoy doing this podcast, it is actually the lowest on the totem pole of the things that I do because this is just a passion project. It's something that I do because I enjoy it. For that, for those of you who um, who actually look forward to listening to me blather on for anywhere up from 20 minutes to an hour or two hours, um, I apologize because I should um, should actually bite the bullet and try to be more consistent even in times of trial, if you will pray for me as I'm going through all of the things that, you know, trying to figure out the decisions that I'm getting ready to make and all, and all of that, um, because they may be some very major decisions indeed. And they may actually take me out of the, take me away from a capacity to even do a podcast at all. Um, but I'm kind of hoping that's not going to be the case. But we shall see. The, um, the affairs of my soul are definitely far more important in the scheme of things for the things that I try to take care of. I hope that in your life, you're making those similar choices. Making sure to take care of your soul first, the souls of your families, and then your body and the bodies of your families and the bodies of your families and so on but always the priority being the spiritual not necessarily the physical it's so tremendously important to keep that right order of things so that you can recognize when you're doing things that even though they appear to be good they might actually be to your detriment um for example, in my life, I would often clothe myself in justice in what would would be would appear to be justice in the world. Now, I will tell you that if, I had, if I'd had even so much as a drop of the census fidelium at the time, just a little bit of the census fide, I might have actually realized, actually, well, I, no, no, I take that back. I did realize it, and it didn't occur to me that that was kind of important. It didn't occur to me that it was important to actually be a just man, not just robe myself in, in justice and righteousness. Because, you know, you could do everything that you want to the ex- exterior form, but if the inside is poisoned, then you're still poison. It's... It's as I carry on reminding myself of that because I am an arrogant puck. As I carry on trying to make sure to remind myself of those things, not let my own ego get get in the way. It becomes ridiculously evident when I see those same things start popping off in other people. It's one of the reasons why I rather enjoy Catholic commentary. Because for all of the foibles of the Taylor Marshalls and the Kennedy Halls and the Trad Patrick's and the, um, the, you know, and the RTF Mike's and the, you know, Steve Cunningham's for all of the foibles of those people, every single last one of them, even the one, even the ones who eventually fall like the former, uh, like the former showrunner for one Peter five, even those who eventually fall, they're still cognizant of the fact that they're human. That the best that they could do, that their finest work, their magnum opus, would still be a little bit more valuable, if more valuable. No, actually, I take that back. Would still be less valuable than a used maxi pad. For whatever the purpose is actually used. Um, I know I know what popped into your mind in the first place, and I will tell you that having used maxi pads for a wide variety of things unrelated to feminine hygiene, <clears throat> however still rendering them pretty much unusable afterwards, um, <laughs> you should get your mind out of the gutter. One of the finest bandages ever invented was the maxi pad. And for that matter, one of the finest, one of the the fastest ways to treat a bullet wound is still a tampon. Although, obviously, the feminine hygiene thing is the thing that pops off in someone's mind. But I cannot buy good bandages at the quantity that I can buy good maxi pads for the same price. So for those of you who are wondering, hey, you know, what do I need for my first aid kit? A quality first aid kit is good, to be sure. But a, but a modest supply of maybe 10 or 20 maxi pads and 10 or 20 tampons added to that. And then a couple of spare straps for tourniquets. And maybe some... Uh, bandanas so that you can do it so that you can do some decent pressure bandages. Those are also good. In fact, I would argue in many cases, those are actually far, far better because what are you going to get in a first aid kit? You're going to get some gauze and you get some band-aids and you might get some decent, like some decent bandages, but they're going to pale in comparison. To what is the equivalent of a combat medical kit. Which is nothing more than a maxi pad sewn to the back of a piece of fabric. That is camouflaged so that the bright white gauze doesn't give your position away when you're out in the woods. I say all of that to clean up what was very obviously a dirty reference. (laughs) Although... Every word is still true. You can buy far more maxi pads than you can good quality emergency level medical bandages. <clears throat> all of the Catholic commentators, all of them, are keenly aware of their fallibility. So even when one of them gets a little bit big for their britches and makes a declaration that we probably don't have the right to make, and my and I am included in that because I mean let's be real, I've called the Pope a heretic. <clears throat> I think I called him an apostate too. I don't remember not precisely anyway, but I'm sure you can go back through the catalog once I get once I get the whole catalog uploaded and everything squared away with the website. The uh, you'll be able to go back through the catalog, and I'm almost certain that I have said some very very. Um, unkind, although not uncharitable, things about the Holy Father. I should say impolite, but not uncharitable things about the Holy Father. The, The fact that the Catholic commentariat are for the most part self-aware. And it doesn't and like when I say this, I mean it's all the way through Raymond Arroyo, all the way through you know, Raymond Arroyo and most of the people on EWTN and all of the and all of the priests who managed to make it big at least to a certain and I say make it big, and that's really a bad way to put it, make it public. Um, all of them are aware of the fact that we're fallible human beings that we're that we're going to make mistakes, that we're going to grievously err. And some of us are even going to be retarded enough to stay obstinate in that error, even in the face of correction. But when we do come to our senses, and by the grace of God, may we all come to our senses, sooner rather than later, we know we can move on. Now, for those of us who are commentators, if we do make that grave error while actually in public, then we, of course we do have to make the apology in public. And most of the, and and I know that most, if not all of them, they're actually aware of it, even if, even if only slightly aware. The fact is, is he whenever, I don't know. This last couple of weeks has been. A couple of weeks where some people have actually dug in deeper to their position and others have kind of backed off and said, you know what, let's try something different. Let's, let's give this a shot, particularly in the wake of the Holy Father consecrating Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Now, I will tell you, I have doubts. I have doubts as to the efficacy. But you know what's going to make those doubts come true? Refusal to do my part as a Catholic. Refusal to pray the rosary every day. Refusal to observe the fir- the five first Saturdays, Saturdays. The refusal to do the things that I know that I have to do as a Catholic will guarantee that I don't merit the graces for things to get better. And if we, as Catholics, don't do the things we're supposed to do, then... The Catholic world is not going to merit the graces of getting a holy father who's actually worth it. <clears throat> I did finally get back and actually see the videos that I was looking for because to see a 6-minute video that was actually clipped from an episode from an from an actual video that was almost an hour long. Is you know, if I would have just jumped on the bandwagon from those six and a half minutes, I would have been remiss. I would have been I would have been failing in my obligations to make sure that I understood as much as possible as what was going on in those videos. <clears throat> it is a six minute video. I did find the full hour long video of the discussion with Father Kramer and Father Gruner. And I will tell you that my initial impressions were largely confirmed. I will also tell you that while I largely believe everything... Let me back. Let me restate because I was about to mess up that whole sentence. I believe that everything they said was true. Everything. Every single word. When they talked about Antonio Ruffini... I believe that everything that Antonio Ruffini said was true. There are issues, however. There are things that can change the context of a future prophecy. And I do not know if any of those elements that would be that would warrant a change in the in, in the dynamic of how the prophecy is supposed to play out. I do not know if all of those circumstances are in fact still true. This is important because this does introduce a level of circumspection when it comes to looking at the Holy Father's consecration and determining as to whether or not it is actually a valid accepted accepted by heaven fulfilled the obligations etc consecration that are still variable. They are still in flux. What is not in flux is we as Catholics have not done anything to merit the graces of a proper consecration. We have not done anything to merit those graces. I also believe, and this is actually an item of key importance, That what Father Gruner and Father Kramer said was absolutely true. That when the Vatican, or whoever, decides to finally publish the third secret, that last piece of paper from Sister Lucy, lines for confession will be wrapped around the block of every Catholic parish all over the world. I have no doubt about that. Because the prophecy about the assassination of the pope, the bishop in white, still seems to be moving on. Now, when I say that I don't know that the circumstances are still necessarily in play, here's the thing: Father Kramer, Father Gruner, both came out back in 2000. I think it, I think that I think the conference was in 2000. Uh, It was either late 2011 or 2012. If I remember correctly, it was in 2012. They came out and said that they believed that Pope Benedict was the Pope of the assassination, which means that Pope Benedict was the Pope who was supposed to be assassinated by soldiers. And I could completely see that being true, except he resigned. And that would be enough to change the whole circumstance because now if pope francis has resigned and he's now not really pope and of course you can entertain the questions one way or the other It honestly at this point it makes no never mind to me i think pope benedict may have actually done what was necessary to conf- to quote unquote confound the prophecy and i put that in quotes because i don't think that you could really confound the plan of god <clears throat> But he did what he could to make sure to dodge out of the way to make sure he was not the one. But in so doing, substituted a physical assassination for a spiritual assassination. An assassination that is, in fact, far more deadly. Do not fear he who can kill the body, but instead fear he who can rend the body from the soul. Where does that put us? No idea. I honestly, to be sure, I have no idea. I believe that the prophecies of the Blesseds and the Saints, from Blessed Ellen Aiello, to Marie-Julie Jehenny to Padre Pio, to Sister Lucy, all of them, I believe that they are all, in fact, true. And that when you notice things that appear to contradict, what you end up with are things that are actually either paradoxes or evidence of changing circumstances. And I can tell you that based on the state of the world, those circumstances are not changing for the better. Antonio Ruffini... No, it wasn't Antonio Ruffini. I believe it was Father Kramer who said that he was in communication with someone who believed that the third secret of Fatima, I don't know why we still call that the third secret, but whatever, that the third secret of Fatima will be revealed before the consecration of Russia. The Vatican has come out and said that all they did was renew the consecration of Pope John Paul II, who said himself that all he did was renew the consecration of Pope Pius XII. And if that is in fact the case, then, I mean, if that was the intent, if that's what they wanted, and given the sprinkling in of all of the amoris laetitia carita Amazonia verbiage, it's likely that that may be the case it is at, it is at least a non-zero possibility it's a non-zero possibility you know we're look we're it's definitely not zero percent but it's i don't know it may only be five percent it could also be 95 percent. i don't know <clears throat> but i know that the that the possibility that it was not a valid consecration is not zero you want to make it a valid consecration well Catholics, dear family, we had better act like it. As I record this, this is the first Saturday. Did you go? For those of you who could not go, did you pray your rosary? Did you kneel down in front of a crucifix? Did you go to a church and at least kneel in front of the statue of the blessed mother or in front you know and point your or point yourself at where approximately the tabernacle of the Lord Jesus Christ is and at least pray the rosary in observation. Even if you had to sit in the parking lot. Even if you had to kneel at the doors. If you have children And you couldn't actually physically And if you have children and you couldn't go to church, did you at least lead your children in prayer? Did you do what you have to do to fulfill your part of the bargain with the blessed mother? Because your part of the bargain is pray the rosary every day. Your part of the bargain is observe the five first Saturdays. Your part of the bargain is to do penance and make reparation. And if you did none of those things on this first Saturday, not a week after the consecration, valid or invalid, then you are not serious about the triumph of of the Immaculate Heart. You are nothing more than a clanging cymbal. I don't want to be the one to say it like, oh, Hellfire and Brimstone, but let's be real for just a moment. Does it look like the world is headed to anything other than Hellfire and Brimstone? Now, if your answer to any end or all of those questions was, yes, I did go to church on the first Saturday, and yes, I did lead my children in prayer, and yes, I did pray the rosary, and yes, I did do penance, and yes, I did observe everything that Our Lady commanded, your obligation isn't over, dear family, because the next step is to tell someone to tell everyone who crosses your path. And I know, let's be real, we're you know, we're kind of all about that human respect and we don't necessarily want to look like you know, we don't want to look like the homeless guy with the sandwich board talking about repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and you know <laughs> or the end of the world is near or whatever. Like you don't want to seem like that guy. I got it. I don't want to seem like that guy either even though I kind of dress like him. <clears throat> By the way, for those of you who wonder, well, we've never actually seen you. We don't see how you dress. Yes, you have. I drew a cartoon of me and used it as the and used it as the main logo of my show. I wish I was as skinny as the cartoon. I'm not. I once was. I wish I was still as young as that cartoon looks. I'm not. I once was. But when I was that young, I didn't have the hair and I do today. And when I was that young, I wouldn't dare dress like that. And I do today. (laughs) Why? I think it's funny, in all honesty. I'm not even joking. I think it's funny. Anyhow, if you did do those things, if you did pray the rosary, if you did go to First Saturday, if you did receive communion, if you did lead your family in prayer, if you've done all of those things and you're fulfilling all of those obligations, which I gotta be honest with you, I mean, it. when you actually take the time out to do it, it seems like going through the effort while you're making the effort to do it, it seems like a big deal. And then you get to the other side and you're like, oh man, I should probably ought to be doing more, but I don't have the time. Well, yes you do, if you've got time to talk to people who are not of your household, if you've got time to talk to friends and family, then you've got time to fulfill the last obligation or the last request. I don't know, obligation is a better word for it. You've got time to fulfill the last obligation, which is to spread the message of Fatima. Now, do you have to go through and become a Fatima expert? I mean, it would help because you're going to get all sorts of questions. I got a whole bunch of questions, and I was like, "Ah," like the first time I got to talking about it, I I, I, I freaked because I was like, I don't know you're asking me questions I don't know the answer to because I've been a Catholic for a week and a half. (laughs) Now I know the answers to most of those questions, and I still get thrown for a loop, and I still don't know exactly how to answer the crazy without being derisive. Like, in all seriousness, there's some of the stuff, some of the questions I have to I have to remember that I'm really not allowed to be derisive when I give the response. And for those of you who do follow me on Twitter, you will notice occasionally, particularly when I get into it with somebody, like the poor soul who I got into it with it <clears throat> who I got into it with over well, both today and yesterday, like that poor soul, I pull punches, but not a lot. And there is a certain point when I will just call a spade a spade. Although I do try not to curse. And it's much easier when you want to make sure that your syntax is right, that you're saying everything exactly that you want to say, and that you don't put your foot in your mouth theologically speaking. Especially when you start shifting over to the topic on faith. But you will notice that there are times when I give no quarter when I leave no room, when I'm done being polite. And I hope and I pray that those times are not actually turning more people away than they are bringing people in. And if you don't think that you can bring, let's be real, if you don't think that you can bring people into the faith with a slap or a punch, then clearly you've never heard of St. Nicholas of Mira. who punched a heretic in the mouth for his blasphemy. It is important to understand that telling the truth as it is, is in fact more More necessary than politeness. If you can be polite at the same time, more's the better. It is by far better to be polite and tell the truth. Do both of those things than it is to just pop off of the mouth and tell the truth in the harshest, most volatile, vicious, and, excuse me, not vicious, but visceral way possible. Wrong V word. And in fact, actually it belies a certain viciousness. Now it's the right V word. It is more important to tell the truth. If you worry for somebody, then that should show in how you express yourself. And truth be told, (laughs) if you're exasperated with somebody who's obstinate, you should be worried for them. Because they're 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 crashing and sabotaging their own soul. Does that have to show in the moment? Certainly not. We're not. First off, I mean, none of us are good enough saints. We're not. <laughs> I'm currently <laughs> I'm currently reading the biography of Saint John uh, of San Juan Capistrano. Saint John of Capistrano. And he he's been he's been one of my favorites for a very long time. He's been one of my favorites for several years actually since I found out that he led basically commanded the army at the Battle of Belgrade. Priests don't typically command armies, and yet Saint John of Capistrano led the army at the Battle of Belgrade. And I got to tell you, I love that story. So when I had an opportunity to learn more about the man with a good biography, and by the way, if you haven't had the opportunity to swing over to Mediatrix Press, they're not paying for this plug, but I'm going to give it anyway. The, If you get an opportunity to go to Mediatrix Press and order the book, the biography of St. John of Capistrano, um, well, it's actually, I was going to go grab the book. I realize it does me no good whatsoever to grab the book. This is an audio podcast. I can't even show you the cover. <laughs> the it is definitely worth it. Ryan Grant was able to get access to a bunch of documentation that goes beyond what you just what you can just read in like the Catholic Encyclopedia or whatever. new invention with this recording system. I don't know if you noticed, but it looked like, it sounded like I probably ended a sentence or stopped halfway through a sentence. And that was largely because I thought I heard jingle bells playing in the background outside. Let that be a a warning if you're listening to um, any type of Latin American music that's not reggaeton. It probably sounds like jingle bells through the windows. Just saying. Not saying it's bad music. I mean, actually, I thought the song was kind of catchy once I recognized it. Oh, having a pause button when I record that, oh, glory to God in the highest, you just gave me the simplest thing to allow me to pause and not completely lose 35 minutes of recording. Anyway, San Juan Capistrano. Ryan Grant was able to get a lot of extra documentation much, much more than what you would read in like the Catholic Encyclopedia or like, you know, those little brief things on the lives of the saints where they mostly actually just talk about him at the Battle of Belgrade. And they maybe mention a few things here and there. I did not know that that St. John Capistrano was a lawyer. He was a canon lawyer. I didn't know that. I also did not know that he was among a large group of canon lawyers who were amazing evangelists and reformers. I didn't know these things. You say the word lawyer to me today, and you know what I think? I think of something that's actually probably less qualitative than scum. And yet, we have saints who were lawyers. St. John and I, St. John Capistrano and I have, well, Capistrano and I have something else in common. We're both tremendously irascible. Now, I've yet to see evidence of it, but apparently, but apparently his temper was legend. His, capaci- his, his capacity for no-nonsenseness was legend. He himself often clothed himself in a manner to make himself appear to be just when in reality all he was was a, was a, a lickspittle for the king. These are his confessions. I had very much a similar experience during the period of my conversion, there were things that I thought that were right and good and true that turned out to be lies. And I did everything that I could to live my life according to what I thought was right and good and true, but it turns out that that really wasn't good enough because none of it was right, none of it was good, and none of it was true in the first place. And so while I, you know, ostensibly was a man of principle, whose principles? Clearly not God's. And that's where you sort of run into the issue. That's where I ran into the issue. And so it was more than a little bit comforting to know that a detestable schmuck like me might have a chance at salvation, might have a chance at inspiring something in at least one other person to get their life right, to get everything in order. to do the red and say the black. I assume it's do the red and say the black because that's how it's oriented in all of my freaking Reverie areas and stuff. <laughs> the, um, like, all of the books I've got, they all, they, it's basically it's all written. You do the red and you see it and you say the black and everybody, for some reason, when you're online, everybody says the opposite. I don't know. It literally, like, legit, I hate to digress. Actually, no, I don't hate to digress like this. Um. But it had me actually checking my breviary just to double check to make sure that I wasn't crazy because they were like, say the red and do the black, which is backwards. Say the black and do the red. The crosses are all printed in red, and that's when you cross yourself. It's a pretty easy cue. I say it's an easy cue. Let's be real. None of us are priests. Well, I mean, if you're a priest out there, um, actually, if you're a priest out there and you're listening to me, Why? I am not the guy. But if you're a priest out there and you're listening to me, shoot me an email. Caleb at RadioFreeCatholic.com. Because I would love to get to know you. I am not the guy. (laughs) Truer words, not spoken. Anyhow. It's been in that pursuit, and reading, and actually, in reading this book, and being comforted by the fact that no, I'm not that. I mean, granted, my list of sins is actually far more heinous uh, than Saint John's. Ostensibly, I mean, they're they're more heinous. They're far more base than his were. Um, but since we were both offending an infinite God, I suppose there's only cert- there's only a certain point when you try to put all of your percentages against infinity, and you realize it's it's a lost cause. Sin is evil. Venial sin is still evil. Mortal sin is wicked, and sins that cry out to heaven for justice are dangerous. And I was a heavy marketer in at least one of those sins. Hoi. <laughs> But it was comforting to know that there was a saint out there that had some... some, I mean, granted, we didn't speak the same language, but I mean, we did kind of. He became a lawyer. Most of his preaching... Well, most of his pre... Not preaching. Most of his teaching, his, his public speaking, that's the word I'm looking for. Most of his public speaking was an exercise in ego to prove his prowess at least that's the impression i get i haven't actually read any of these pieces that were pre that were pre priest pre father john <clears throat> but i get the impression that when he got up to speak when he challenged someone it was it was to be solidly anchored on what he thought was the truth, what justice was, to be immovable and implacable. And I can totally identify with that. And so it is comforting to know that there's a saint out there who is maybe not just like me because I could... uh, I don't know that I could do the Franciscan life. I don't know. I'm going to finish reading this book and I'll tell you later. I would love... I would love to see the reform of the Jesuits. I mean, soldiers for Christ. Trained soldiers for Christ. Anyway. Hammers of heretics, they once were. Now, they're heretic hammers. Anyway, taking time out to do those extra things, even you have to, I know I mentioned this in the podcast before, but you have to know what your 50 meter target is. You have to know what is the most imminent and most important thing that you have to take care of. If you, if you want to be able to organize your life, you have to be able to prioritize. You have to know what is most important, what is least important. You have to know what you can handle now and what you probably can handle later or need to handle later. You have to know how to orient all of those things. And if you know how to orient all those things, then you won't be the one on Twitter saying something so mind-numbingly vicious and stupid as to catch my attention. Because I'll be honest with you, one of the reasons why I, keep, why I keep very tight control over my timeline on Twitter is so that I can scroll through my Twitter timeline and hit like. Because the things that are disruptive, the things that are discordant, they're not just discordant you know, when you, you know, when you're scrolling through a bunch of pictures of Catholic art and family photos and this, that, and the other, and people, and people who are, you know, taking pictures of the churches that they're at or this, that, and the other, usually if they're smart, not with them in the picture. Um, but when you're scrolling through pictures of these beautiful churches and, you know, puppies and people receiving the sacraments and all of these wonderful, beautiful Catholic things, when something shows up as discordant, it's discordant everywhere, and you immediately know it. We have we're designed to have a visceral response to ugliness. That's <laughs> why we that honestly that's why we respond the way we do with lepers, literal lepers, real lepers. I'm not talking you know the figurative social media lepers. We're designed to orient ourselves towards the true, the good, and the beautiful. And so when something comes in that's drastically untrue, borderline blasphemous, ugly, wretched, wicked, or evil, it evokes a visceral response. And we kind of have to be careful about that. Me being an irascible sort, I like that visceral response. I am keyed towards that visceral response. There is something about slamming evil that makes me giddy. And I would think actually by now, if you've been listening to the podcast, then you know when you use no quarter for demons as a catchphrase for your podcast, that maybe slamming evil happens to be something enjoyable, no matter how much pain, hardship or pressure has to be brought to bear in order to do it, slamming evil is enjoyable enough that I will suffer nearly anything just to smite. Oh gracious, I got this totally dad rhyme, smite the spite, stuck in my head just now. Obviously, <laughs> so somewhat of my nature, enjoys that kind of combat. It is, and truth be told, I think probably the hardest thing for me is to stop long enough to get on my knees and actually pray. I mean, I'm getting better at it. Maybe someday, maybe someday I can be Saint Joseph Cupertino about it. But as of right now, it's it's still a bit of a struggle. I don't mind confessing that because I mean, let's be real. If I was the only one, then the Immaculate Heart would have already triumphed beautifully because we would be a holy people. A people holy enough to warrant the graces for peace. (laughs) And I'm sorry that that is sort of a veiled accusation at the rest of you. But it is actually a veiled accusation at the rest of you. That we all don't pray enough. That we all don't do penance enough. That we're all not really holy enough. And I know that seems to be... I seem to be harping on this, and it's because I am harping on this. I desperately want to see the triumph of the Immaculate Heart. I don't necessarily want to know exactly what that entails, because I I still suspect that the triumph of the Immaculate Heart is going to be through three days of darkness where we have the literal hell scared out of our souls. And those of us who don't have the literal hell scared out of our souls will find ourselves destroyed. It just feels like that's the way it would come to pass. Do I have any proof? No. I'm not a saint. I don't have the stigmata. I'm not a visionary. The Blessed Mother, I mean, she's only ever said three words to me. Three words that were magnificently important. But she's still only ever said three words to me. She's never appeared. Like, we're, we're not, you know, I'm not Sister Lucia. I'm not, you know, Margaret Mary Alacoque. I'm not Marie-Julie Jehenny. I'm not St. Padre Pio. In part because I'm pretty sure that if I could see my guardian angel the way he did, my guardian angel probably would have choked the ever-loving life out of me. Because... I'm really not that good a guy. (laughs) Anyway. So certainly don't take what I'm saying as gospel here, but I just, I have this suspicion that that's the way the Immaculate Heart triumphs. It's going to be through chastisement of the world. And I'm not really looking for, like, I'm, I'm like, let's be real. I know I'm Catholic. I know I'm supposed to embrace suffering, but I'm not really about that. Like I'm really, you know, if I could skip it, I will. (laughs) I know, I know that makes me a coward. But given the choice between going through hell to get to that stuff on the other side and not, I'd much rather actually just do the penance. Do the penance, get on my knees, and not get the nuclear war. Or Or whatever the actual divine equivalent for nuclear war is. but at the same time too if divine if divine fire consuming the earth and destroying the wicked is how we got to go well what am i going to say god god we don't deserve this <laughs> yeah right i'm going to be turned into a liar as quickly as it as fast as you can turn on the news and it doesn't even matter if it's a good news channel or it's one of the propaganda firms I could be proven a liar just by turning on the news it doesn't matter if it's it's mslsd or fox news or blaze or one america news or what's that other one newsmax or revolver or any of them jokers doesn't matter oh we don't deserve this turn on any news channel and you will turn on any television channel and you will know immediately within minutes no matter whether you turned it on during commercial or actually during the television show that we deserve every bit of chastisement that we are going to get the exception probably would be if you turn if like you turned on the television and immediately went to EWTN you might get about 50 seconds where it's not absolutely provable that the world is a cesspool great word cesspool have you ever actually seen a cesspool I mean like a real cesspool. There was a cesspool at the end of the main boulevard, for lack of a better word, in Kandahar. A legit literal cesspool. Like, so much of cess and so much pool that it I've I've known people to get close to it and immediately like start sicking up and actually and actually dry heaving or in some cases even vomiting it's foul it's foul and it's black and it doesn't matter <laughs> well actually it kind of does matter in the broad hot summer daylight it is so foul that you don't want you don't want to get anywhere near it and so it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to to follow the admonishment of no swimming. And yes, there is actually a sign that says no swimming in that at that cesspool. <laughs> but it's only moderately better in the cold and darkness of winter. Actually, it's Kandahar, so really the cold and darkness of winter really ain't much. It's only slightly better. And day or night it's black. Black like tar from the La Brea Tar Pits, black. And doesn't even smell as good as tar. <sighs> from a spiritual standpoint, that's what our world is like. Any creature that could survive in that would probably die if it was exposed to both sunlight and clean water. Any creature that was adapted to living in a cesspool would probably not thrive anyplace else. And you can tell that most of Western culture, if you want to call it culture, has become adapted to the equivalent of that cesspool. To that cesspool on a spiritual level. (laughs) How do you get rid of that? I mean, you could start by flushing the toilet, but really you just got to burn it. And that's just like, I hate saying it like that, but that's just how it is. We've kind of reached a point where our world, it would be better off just burning off all that nonsense. Burning off all that muck, all that stench, all that foulness. i tell you true the only thing that could have made that cesspool smell worse would have been the it ac- would have been the acrid smoke of burning chemicals it's the only thing that could have made it worse because it smelled like death and despair <laughs> and dear family hell smells worse We know it from all the saints. Hell smells worse. As bad as things are in this world, they can get so, so much worse. The difference would be, well, like the difference between a painted sun and the real sun. This world to hell. And as is actually the theme of this whole thing, if I can avoid it, I'd much rather avoid it. I would much rather not go through all that. Our lady didn't ask much, our Lord isn't asking much, not by comparison anyway. Surely we can bring ourselves to orient ourselves in the right direction. For your family members who don't necessarily mean it, Bring them anyway. Get them to go through the motions. It worked for Bruno Cornicula. It worked for him. Our Lady of the Resurrection, the Blessed Mother herself, said that it was because he observed, at the time, I think it was the first Fridays, Because he did the nine first Fridays, that was the reason why he was saved. So even if your family, even if you've got family members who are really not all about it, you just look at me and say, "What could it possibly hurt?" And go observe the five first Saturdays. What could it possibly hurt? In truth, it could only save them. I'm not even joking. He can only save them. With that, I've been on here for an hour. We've covered a wide array of topics. I will simply conclude with long live Christ the King. Dear family, you know what you got to do. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. In nomine patris et Filii et spiritus sancti. Amen.